we are here to be subjective, sovereign human beings who are learning how to be in interdependent relationship with one another, where both people matter, where both people have a perspective, where both people bring in a history, and where we learn from one another. Hello, everyone. It's Dr. Yvette Erasmus, and welcome to another episode of Conversations from the Heart. You are in the right place if you are longing to use words in authentic, kind, and direct ways to connect more deeply and to make a meaningful and positive impact on the world at home and at work. Do you want to have a new kind of conversation with both yourself and others? Let's dive in. Sujata, let's start with you. We're building a Christmas party. A resident wants my help organizing on the day of the party. I wouldn't mind. In fact, in the right company, I would enjoy it. But this is not somebody whose company I enjoy. We have nothing in common. And the last time we chatted, I felt really drained afterwards. So my authentic answer is no, I don't want to. And I don't feel guilty about my no. I don't feel guilty about my no. And I even feel a bit resentful that she asked. I think I'm reading that right. Let you correct me if I'm getting that wrong. And I also don't want to make up an excuse, but saying a simple no feels really scary. What do I do? Where are you at? Hi, Sujat. What a great question. Where do you want to start? Um, yeah, just, I mean, does that, does that question, the way I framed it, give you enough to, to say something or do you want to know more? Um, are you wanting a script? Are you wanting a way to say no? Or are you wanting to figure out what's scary about just saying no? I guess both, to be honest. So tell me what is scary about saying no. I imagine she'll be resentful or she might hate me or something and, or see me as a selfish person. Uh, I guess there's a general fear of making enemies. You know, you want to be neighborly and you don't want to make anyone angry with you. I think that's something I carry inside of me, especially in, in your own building where you live, becoming known as that person who never helps any. I don't just, it just kind of just kind of snowballs into something terrible. Got it. Got it. So you want to be authentic, you want to tell the truth, you don't feel guilty about saying no, and you'd like to do it in a way that is as connecting and caring with as little fallout as possible. Yes, yes. yes. Got it. So when you hear it that way, do you have an idea of what and how you might say it or nothing comes to mind? Just what, it, what occurred to me when you said the connecting and caring piece was that, oh, wow, actually, I don't feel connected to her. I'm not feeling caring towards her. In fact, I'm feeling resentful towards her. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't even occur to me to think about, oh, I want to stay connected and caring. Because the resentment comes from like a story I'm telling myself about, oh, you, why don't you ask your own daughter? She's the same age as me. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so there's that like, oh, yeah, ask me. What does it mean to you that she's asking you? Because I just listened to her that one time we chatted and she felt hurt, I suppose. And she just saw me as a, as a nice person and kind, maybe, and thought, oh, yeah, I can, you know, use her. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. So you don't want to be used. Yes. I want, yeah, I want mutuality. I don't think she was even aware of how one-sided the conversation was. And I couldn't imagine... It's possible even to tell her that just her age and everything that just, yeah. So mm -hmm. a lot of hopelessness around being able to, you know, communicate. So there's two different things. We can go both directions. We can do both of them. One part is it sounds like one of the patterns for you is agreeing to things for longer than you enjoy and then feeling resentful and wanting to trust yourself more to be able to set a boundary earlier on or bring your own needs into a conversation earlier on. Like that might be one theme. Uh, we'll put that over here on the side of the page. And then on the other side of the page is in this moment, the very simple like, what am I going to say to this person? How do I hold a no that is authentic? And that gives me as little kickback as possible. Which one do you want to go with or both? Or wh where do you want to start? I'd love to start with the first one, actually. Okay. It gets to more of the root, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like if we just go back to the first part of the conversation, can you feel into when you begin to think 
oh my goodness, I'm holding space for this other person and it's all about them and they are not queuing into me at all. Do you get an internal cue when that's happening or not? I do, I do. And I, how does it show up for you? It just, I think I just feel a panic. Um, like, okay, I'm not here. I, okay. I'm not here for them. I'm just some warm body and they just get to express. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not here for them. Yeah. Like, I don't matter. Yes, I don't matter. They are using me. It's all about them. It's not about me. When you start having those perceptions, that's the moment to interrupt. Ow, oh, that's the thing. I, I struggle with what to say, how mm -hmm. to say it in a way, because then the fear comes up, right? Yep, yep. So the, the fear that somebody else is going to have a negative reaction to it. Be, and because the story is that they are unconscious of their behavior, so it's getting yes. on them badly. Yes. So here's the key. You talk about yourself and not about them. So we're not giving them feedback on their bad behavior. We're revealing what's happening in us. We lead with vulnerability. And it might sound like now we're just going to spitball a variety of things and it's going to, everyone's going to need to calibrate for your own context and your own person because it's going to be different based on the temperaments and the relational context. But something in the direction of, I'm sorry, can I interrupt you for a moment? Can I just pause you for a second? Hold on a moment. Can I just jump in here for a second? So you can use a hand, you can, but somehow you're going to interrupt someone. And then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to reveal what you're noticing in you. Now, the, we're just going to play with ideas. Even if you only imagine them and never do them, the imagining of them will be helpful, even if we never actually do them. So play with me first on the just imagine it realm, right? So I'm going to imagine that I don't submit to holding space for any longer than I enjoy. And when I notice myself getting panicky or getting nervous or getting, you know, whatever the cue is inside of myself, hold on, can I interrupt you for a second? One second, one second. I'm noticing that I am beginning to get glazed over and I'm losing track and I'm losing connection with what you're saying. Some version of that. I'm noticing that my mind is beginning to wander. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I'm noticing that I'm having a difficult time staying present right now. And there are other things in my mind that are taking priority. Whatever it is that you're noticing, something that's true. Yeah? And then you can go to a request. What would help in that moment? Could we table this conversation and come back to it another time? If I want out, I'm going to give some request of, would you mind if we just paused right here? I'm not as present as I think you may enjoy me being. And I give myself permission to stop being so useful to them. I stop meeting their need so well. Or I can bring my own subjectivity in and I could say, I could give them some information again about me, not about them. I find it challenging to listen for more than five minutes at a time. So I just want to interrupt you because I want to make sure I'm catching what you're saying. And then I have a question. Like if you want me to, like, you don't need to say it this way, but if you want me to keep listening, I need to be more actively engaged. And if I'm not actively engaged, this isn't going to work for me, is essentially the shortcut of what I'm wanting to convey if I want to stay actively engaged, right? What's happening hearing just some of those short ideas? I like them all. I like them all, Yvette. The question I have is what if they're talking about something that I just have no interest in? I don't agree with them. Yeah. Uh, and I just, it's boring. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to hear about how, what happened to her paint job or whatever, yeah. her niece yeah. or sister-in-law, whatever. Yeah. What I usually do, I don't know that this is always the best answer. What I usually do is I switch inside of me into making it a practice and feeling and needs surfacing. Like I make it meaningful for myself by avoiding the content completely. Like when the content is boring, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm going to listen to all of this. And then I start thinking, what is this person needing? What is this person needing? And then I change the conversation by reflecting that back. Oh, so, you know, I, I wonder if you just really like it when people follow through on what they say. I wonder if you really want more predictability in your life. I wonder if you're like, I use it for my own practice. I just make it meaningful for me in that way. And then I try to bring the conversation into something that I find more meaningful and interesting. Now, not everybody is going to join me there. You know, sometimes people are like, no, 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 I just want to tell you. And sometimes if they just want to, if I get a sense that somebody is really just wanting to like wallow and enjoy the drama of what happened to them and they are enjoying 
telling a story of being a victim of these terrible forces in the world that are acting upon them, and I find myself bored with that, then I give myself permission to disengage. Then I'll say something like, yeah, it sounds like this was really meaningful to you. And actually, you know what I'm noticing? And then I make some kind of exit that feels attuned to where I am. I'm noticing the time. I'm noticing that I just remembered. I'm noticing that I actually need to change gears right now because I've got to go tend to blah, blah, blah. Thanks for being willing to share, but I'm out, essentially, some version of that. Mm, I like that, actually. I mean, it's it's a little scary hearing you say these things, but I yeah. like this. I need to change gears right now because that's exactly yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Like I just need out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. some of the way you said it sounds... It sounds assertive without being, um, I don't know, it, like it can, it can possibly land softly for them as well. Yes. The more we can speak from self-responsibility and about ourselves, and it is about me taking care of me, it's not about you having done anything wrong. The more that I'm conveying, this is me being responsible for me with a softness and a regulated nervous system, if we can handle it. The, the more easily it's going to land. And also, here's what's more important. The more self-trust you will have that if they then have a reaction, that that is about them and not about you. Yeah, yeah, true. Right? Yeah. Because if I get impatient and I'm like, oh my goodness, I really, I couldn't be bothered listening to you talking about paint jobs over and over again. I cannot handle these conversations with you, so I'm going to bow out. And then they feel hurt. That's going to be harder for me to feel because the way I delivered it, I can see why that might stimulate some hurt in them. You know, mm -hmm. whereas if I trust my delivery and I trust that I'm really telling you about me and what I'm needing and you object to that, that's good information about me, that you are unable, you random other person are unable to care about what I'm needing as well, especially when I bring it in in a very kind and self-responsible way as an invitation for you to also care about me and tend to my subjectivity. So then I get data about what is possible or not possible in this particular relational frame. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Without it being confusing for me on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Do you have an example of um, responding in a way that is soft enough? Like not that example of like just being flustered and like I can't deal with it, but also not those more skillful versions that you offered in the beginning. Something in between. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something in between. So give me a specific moment. Like you're in a conversation with somebody who's in the same building as you and they want to tell you about the botched up paint job in their apartment and you really couldn't be bothered. And it's going on and on, you know, the story. Yeah. So especially if they're like, if I'm passing them in a hallway or if we're in a common space, so I'm, I'm imagining that's the, I might stop somebody and say, hold on a minute, can I interrupt you for a second? I can see that the story really matters to you and there is a lot to it. And I'm noticing that I'm beginning to feel some anxiety and panic about the things I need to be attending to in my life. So do you mind if we just pause it right here? And I really get it. Thank you for sharing with me, but I, I need to be moving on and I'll see you later. Yeah, that's a little edgier. <laughs> what are you imagining they might say back or feel back that would be edgy for you? Just that they're going to be like, what? Yeah, like I'm mm -hmm. imagining them just like just. Oh, then I would say this. Then I would say, I know this might feel a little jarring to you. I've really not wanted to be rude and I've been listening for longer while I'm noticing that I need to be somewhere. Even if the needing to be somewhere is on my couch watching a show so that I can decompress, right? It doesn't mean that you have to have some other person waiting for you. Like, I've been noticing that I need to be somewhere. And so I, I haven't wanted to interrupt you, but I'm getting to the point where I really need to. I, I hope that feels okay. I, I trust you understand. I know you get this. Thank you so much for your understanding. I love that actually. I have to practice these. I have to actually. I have to practice talking like this with people. Mm -hmm. The thing that's going to make it easy is when you can empathically connect with whatever they give you back. Right. Empathically connect with them, like understand where they're coming from, sort of thing. A hundred percent. Like if somebody were to say, "Oh my God, that's so rude! I can't believe you would interrupt me when I'm in the middle of a story." Like, who does that to people? I'm in the middle of saying something and you're just going to interrupt me and like, just leave? 
let's say, like, who would say this? But that's amazing. Right. Right. And you can say, I know it feels completely bewildering to you. It seems so weird. And it feels weird for me to do it as well. I just didn't know what else to do in that moment because I really do need to get going. And I know you get that. Wow. Right. That's a, that's an interesting, that's a new step for me. Like you're actually, almost like when they criticize you, you you see, you join them, you understand where they're getting yes. from. Yes. Yeah. We get nervous if we think that somebody else's evaluation of us might be true that we really are doing something bad. That's what will inhibit us. Yeah. That's what's getting in the way of my no. Yeah. That's what's getting in the way of the no, because there's some lack of self-trust that you're allowed to do the thing you're about to do and that it's not harming another person and that you don't have to be the strategy to meet their need in that moment just because they've captured you in the hallway. Yeah. And to not even see it as a capturing, see it more as a ship's passing in the hallway and I'm going to actually keep moving and you may not like that and that's okay and I care about that, but I'm still going to get going. <laughs> right. I like the playfulness of this. It sort of eases the tension for me, not bringing some humor into the situation. It's not so serious and, I don't know, life-threatening or something like that, you know. I think it's like um, people are just having feelings. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I mean that in a joining way. It's really, it's a feeling coming up. It's a preference coming up. It's an attachment coming up. And if we can see through that, people get attached to certain strategies and people can get demanding and people can try to bully us into things by getting evaluative and judgmental. And that's just what we've learned to do. Right. It doesn't make it true. It doesn't make me bad. It doesn't make you bad. How am I going to work with these dynamics right. in a way that I don't fall into the illusion of getting trapped by them all the time? Right, right. Thank you. Should we move on to the no? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like you got enough on this piece of like yeah, what yeah. going on in the underneath? Mm -hmm. I want to listen to this again and just sort of take it in again. Mm -hmm. So we then moving on to the no is remind me where we are because I feel like we did a few no's. So with the Christmas party, like I want, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll message you on the day. Um, mm -hmm. Help. Mm -hmm. Dear blah, blah, blah. You know, thank you so much for the invitation to work with you upon reflection as I've thought a little bit about how my day is going to go out I'm realizing that I'm not going to be available for that have you thought about asking your daughter I mean asking her daughter or well, whomever right <laughs> yeah but that would just be a little presumptuous right like now I'm trying to give her solutions then like, you could say um I'm, I'm hoping you can find somebody else yeah I like that my day is yeah just the way it's turning out, it's just, I just don't, yeah, yeah. It's outsourcing it a little bit to circumstances, which I think is perfectly acceptable if you're not wanting to be in a deep, intimate conversation with somebody. You want to keep it gentle and enough of an explanation without getting into it. If you wanted to make it more personal, you could say something like, um, you know, I, thank you so much for inviting me to whatever it is. Um, as I sat with myself, I realized that I'm wanting a day with more ease and um, less responsibilities. And so I'm going to politely bow out of that invitation. And I trust you'll find somebody else who will enjoy co-creating with you. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, that brings up anxiety when I hear that. Mm -hmm. It just sounds so like new agey. Then don't do it that way. <laughs> it's got to fit you, right? It's got to yeah, be the no, language that fits. Yeah, it, it fits me. But yeah. I imagine them judging it. Like, oh, yeah, she's got, oh, you know, it's so flowery and it's so perfect, but it's like a no. And who does she? I don't know. I just have these like, judgments that come up about like imagining her. Mm -hmm. saying, oh, that's such a neatly like gift wrap no. Mm -hmm. But it's we still can... a no. Yeah, yeah. We can do two things with that. Okay. We can come up with language that you think will land more in a better way on this other person. Like, Absolutely, we can keep calibrating the language, so we can do that in a minute. But I want to highlight the second part of that, which is how can we help you feel okay when other people might have a judgment of you? That's the, that's the core issue, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's a both end. We want to be uh, strategic with people, absolutely. And we want to be aligned with what people are needing and how they might take it 100%. But the deeper issue that I'm hearing here is, can I be okay with being seen as a new agey, flowery, gift wrappy person? Can I survive somebody else thinking bad things about me? Can I survive somebody else not liking me? Is it okay for certain people to not like certain things that I do? Can I be okay in that place? Yeah, that's a bigger question. Yeah. It goes from they either love me and, you know, I help them and they listen to them to if I ever have any boundaries, then they're just going to hate me. Yeah. And uh, there's no middle ground, it seems, for some part of me. Yeah, yeah. It's probably an adaptive earlier child strategy of being a good girl in order to be safe and connected. You know, there's some good girl programming in there that I need to meet other people's needs and I need to be what other people are projecting onto me in order to be safe and connected. And if I break those rules, there's going to be some kind of punishment or, or negative reaction and I'm not going to be safe and connected. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a catastrophic projection. Yes. So when it's catastrophic, it tells you and me that this is a young part in you for whom it would have been catastrophic. Because your emotionally mature, functional, wise, present moment self probably doesn't think of it as catastrophic, could probably see that it's no longer catastrophic. Is that true or not? Uh, yeah, when I can access this part. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah. it's a young part. It's a young part that is seeing it as catastrophic and frightening and dangerous. And so then I'd work with her. And I would tend to her and find this younger part in me and say, oh, honey, I know you're scared. It used to be scary to assert our needs because we would get punished or whatever would happen. I don't know what the specifics are, but something bad would happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't have developed this adaptation. And now it's going to be different. Let's get into the here and now. This can be a new experience. I've got you. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a thing for me to do. Yeah. You know, just take some space and just have this conversation with myself or with this part of me. Yeah. yeah. You know, anytime we're struggling with this, what I recommend that people do is they make a list of all the things you're not allowed to be. What are all of the things you're not allowed to be? I'm not allowed to be selfish. I'm not allowed to be insensitive. I'm not allowed to be self-involved. I'm not allowed to be lazy. I'm not allowed. What are the things you're not allowed to be? And then take six months to reclaim every single one of those and give yourself permission. I get to be selfish and that is a form of wisdom sometimes. I get to be lazy, quote unquote, and that is a form of wisdom sometimes. So take all of the things you were told you're not allowed to be and then begin one by one reclaiming these parts of yourself so that they can be online instead of exiled. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good strategy. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love your question. It's a very, very relevant one. So Daisy and then Karen. My clarifying question is I loved the example and I think my friend Sujad wanted to like disconnect from this person. What if I'm in the same situation and I like I don't want to do what she said and help her with trimming her bushes because like she said, I don't want to use. But what if I what if I'm like, but I do want to be your friend. Then how would I approach that? Maybe like invite if you want the connection and you want to set a boundary. Then I might say, let's say it was you, Daisy. I might say, oh my goodness, thank you so much for thinking of me and inviting me to trim the bushes with you. I would have loved that on another day. It's not going to work out for me on blah, blah, blah. I have other things going on, but let's grab some tea sometime. Well, I would love to grab tea with you. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> Does that help? Yes. Great. Perfect. Karen. My question is, is if could you repeat you know, the one by one reclaim these parts that have been exiled. Yeah. By doing what? <laughs> so if I want to DIY reclaim these pieces of me, then what I could do is I could say, okay, when I'm evaluating myself as, let's say, lazy, what am I feeling? Mm -hmm. What need am I trying to meet? Mm -hmm. And what, what is the behavior that I'm evaluating as lazy? When I come home from work and I go straight to my bed and I lie down instead of doing my laundry. Oh my God, I'm so lazy. Huh. When I do that, what am I feeling? I'm feeling exhausted. What am I needing? I'm needing rest. 
is it possible that this is a strategy to meet my needs for rest and that it's not that I'm lazy and that I'm allowed to rest and that this behavior that I used to see as quote-unquote lazy and unwanted and bad is actually a really aligned strategy to meet needs of mine that I have. And once I've had rest, maybe I'll want to do the laundry. And what would it be like to allow myself to wait until I want to do something instead of forcing myself to do things I don't want to do, which is internalized domination? Does that give a little bit of a practical way of how we might apply it? Or is there another question or another example you want me to work with? I get it. I get it. I'll go back and listen. That's okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Yes, you're welcome. I'll say one more thing that's in my mind. Like part of this work is I'm allowed to be selfish. I'm allowed to be lazy. I'm allowed whatever it is that I've been told I wasn't allowed to be, I can reclaim and then translate into what is wise about this, what was judged about this. What I'm wanting to do really is detox the internal self-judgment that's inhibiting me and create more choice and room. So maybe that helps a little bit. Okay. All right. I see Ali and Josie. I just want questions on the piece with Sujata and then move on. So let's go. Al, hi. Hi. Um, I put a question in the chat and Lynn suggested I ask you, how do you feel about lying in situations like this? There are some people who can be so inquisitive mm-hmm. that I have chosen to resort to that. Yeah. With that. Of just saying, sorry, I have a Zoom. I must run off to, you know, because yes. they need an explanation. And if I really don't have an excuse, I'll just lie. I mean, I yeah. don't feel great about it, but. Okay. So when you tell them, for example, I have a Zoom when you don't, what needs of yours are you meeting when you do that? How does that work for you? I guess it gives me like an urgency to, or, a you know, because something like rest or food or I need to get away from this conversation, I think like I could probably push through it. But if I have an appointment I'm running off to, then I have a good excuse or a good reason that they will understand for dashing off. Yeah. You're wanting to stack the odds in the favor of them agreeing to let you go. Exactly. Which I should be able to leave at any time, but some some people are just kind of energetic kidnappers, and I think I'm a little bit <laughs> prone to that. Another so I'm saying that is a dirty. I tactic. trust myself in certain up to a certain point, and when other people put more pressure on me, I don't trust myself to stay with my own truth, and I need to bring in the fortification of a story to ease my exit in that situation. So I'm sidestepping a little bit. In this way, Um, in a principled sort of energetic uh, ideal sense, I would say, yeah, to the degree that we're lying, it doesn't meet our own needs for integrity and self-trust and there'll be a price to it. In the practical moral sense of it, I'm like, oh, I do it all the time, too. Like there are times where I'll just say something like I totally know this place. And I think it's there's a practical place where people will just say, oh, listen, I, I just remember that I have closed in the dryer, whatever, and I need to get going. Whatever makes it simple and easy. I think people do that all the time. Your question was, what do I think about lying? And, and so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to answer that a little bit more directly, which is the person you're hurting the most is you. That's it. I'll speak about me. I'm buying myself short-term ease, but I'm not helping myself show up the way that I really want to be. Now, if I have no problem with lying and that is who I want to be, then that's not true for you. And and I would say you guys do whatever you want with that. But the problem with saying something that isn't true is that it decreases our own self-trust and trust in others. And there's there's just going to be a ripple effect from that that I don't think is useful for our um, sense of integrity and our relationships with other people. That's all. From that practical point of view, I would say... If you can find a way to say it that feels true to you, you will feel stronger. And that's the main reason to do it. And you will be more trustworthy to yourself and other people. And are there situations where it's really, really challenging to do and it's so easy to just pull in what we think of as a white lie? Absolutely. I know that that happens all the time. And I would not judge it moralistically. I'd look at it and go, oh, that's my current strategy. Do I want to up-level it or not? 
And I would just work with it in a very neutral and practical way in, in that sense. What do you think about that? I think that makes a lot of sense. I agree that in a perfect world or in a moralistically aligned world, you'd never have to lie. I guess I employ that with relationships where I know the other person is not going to try to meet me at a mutually respectful, authentic place where I can be true and honest, you know? Yeah. And feel safe. Yeah. So it sounds like part of what you're saying is in some relational containers, you make an assessment of what may or may not be possible. And there are times when saying something that isn't factually true feels like the most effective strategy for getting most of the needs met in that situation. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably not, you know, something I love or something I'd want to keep doing. I'm thinking about where do I do that the most? And it's probably when I worked in condos and these hallway conversations when you're passing by someone. And that was also a professional situation. So I think maybe in a professional situation, like if a boss is going to ask me, oh, why do you need this time off? Sometimes I would say, I have to go see a doctor, even if I was really seeing a therapist, you know, because I don't feel comfortable being completely 100% open and honest in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the more important question there is, am I aware of the needs that I am meeting and not meeting when I employ this strategy? And am I okay with that? And then you get to decide, yeah, that was the best strategy for me in that situation or, huh, yeah, I'm happy to settle for that strategy for now, but I'd also like to up-level and find new words that feel truer to me or or not. But that's entirely up to you. And I really relate to the panic of not wanting to be seen as the like weird neighbor or whatever and wanting to sort of appear rational and reasonable for just community survival and being able to build those um those relationships, even when, yeah, sometimes you want to do things that others might perceive as rude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you could go on and on about politeness. And I could. Yes. It's a strategy. Good for now. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, Josie, quick question on the same thing. Real quickly. So I have a friend that talks a lot about high school memories. I'm trying to okay. figure out if it's too much to interrupt and say, it's really hard for me to spend a lot of time talking about the past, uh -huh. would you be willing to maybe consider spending more time just talking about what's going on in the here and now? Is that too big of a request to make in interrupting in that way, do you think? I don't know if I would think of it as too big of a request. My first impression when I hear that is it's very likely that the other person is going to feel micromanaged if it's framed up in that way. What I'm imagining many people's filters will do with that is, oh, I'm doing it wrong and this is the right way. Or you don't like what is coming up naturally in me and you're trying to mold me into who you need me to be. And so to the degree that somebody perceives it that way, they may experience resistance and resentment. And then to the degree you know, depending on their own internal calculations, they may resentfully submit and do it, or they may push back. But I think uh, framed up that way out loud to the other person, it might be challenging for somebody to hear what's in your heart if it's framed up like that. I think what they would hear is, I don't like how you're doing it. Do it like this instead, because that will make me happier. What do you think about that? Oh, I gotcha. So a quick suggestion for something different. Can you do that real quickly? It would be something like, yeah, it sounds like you're um, really trying to get some understanding of all of these things that have been happening in your life and you're looking at all of these dynamics. And, you know, right now with you and me, you know, what's it like for you right now to look back on that? What insights are you getting? How would you do things differently? I would ask a question that would move it in the direction of what I'm longing for more of without analyzing what they're doing and asking them to do something different. Gotcha. How does that land? That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. It, to the degree that we can receive what somebody is giving us without criticism and then redirect and ask for the thing we want right now without explaining what we're doing, 
it's going to be a gentler redirect than saying, you're doing this, I want you to do this. Does that help? It does. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. All right, Suzanne, where's Suzanne? Where would you like to go from here? Ah, uh, you can read it. That's great. great. Fabulous. Okay. I'm recently divorced, married for 37 years. Congratulations. When I was married to him, I did all the household finances that kept the household running. I'm organized, and it seemed from the beginning that he didn't want to learn how to be. We're now trying to untangle all our finances, things our names are jointly on, etc. And he keeps messaging me to ask how to do things. Parts of me want to help him and parts of me want to tell him to F off and just figure it out himself. I do usually end up helping him and then I question myself again for leaving because he obviously can't deal with it himself. My question is this, when does my responsibility for him end? When can I just tell him he needs to figure it out himself? Am I being, uh, <laughs> I think you mean bitchy perhaps if I say that? Maybe not oh, a real yeah, question. Probably. Yep. Okay. I was just, I was yeah. translating the, the stars. <laughs> Listen, I like all language, so I'm happy to just uh, say it out loud. So when would you like your responsibility for him to end? It ends when you say it ends. What is it ultimately that you want? I want him to disengage because that's what he did in the last part of the marriage. He disengaged while I was trying to like, I mean, we were even in therapy together mm -hmm. and, but he disengaged because he didn't want to do the work, it seemed. Mm -hmm. And if that's what he wanted, then just disengage completely. Just leave me alone. We're divorced. You have your own place. I have my own place. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Be an adult. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. So then you're going to say, every time he asks you for something, you're going to say, I know you can figure this out by yourself. Yeah, that sounds like a problem that you're going to need to figure out. Good luck with that. Now, oh, you could like say that, that snarkily, too. I suppose you could be like, oh, well, good luck with that. I guess it's time for you to figure that out. <laughs> well, luckily, I'm done. I'm is... done doing it for you. Yeah. Luckily, everything is intact because I won't speak uh -huh. to him uh -huh. verbally. But yeah. so he he could put his own yeah. tone to it. But yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do it in a uh, like if we want to soften it and you want to be more relational, it really depends on what you want. It could be something like, listen, I know that for the last 37 years, I really have taken the lead on figuring out blah, 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 blah. And that created in you a dependency on me for these things. And I just want to let you know that from this point forward, I'm no longer going to be helping you with them. And it's going to represent a change in our dynamic. But at this point, we're divorced. And I'm going to trust that you can figure these out on your own. So please turn to other people in your life and not me. Oh, I love that. That's actually where my heart is, yep. is to, I want to be kind. Yep. And part of the reason I divorced him was because he was checked out all the time and high all the time. Yep. So of course he doesn't remember how to do stuff because he's yep. high. Yep. But that's his problem now, not yours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you can just very kindly and gently say that, listen, we, the, the, the chance for you and I helping each other with these kinds of things is now over. We were doing that when we were married. Honey, we're no longer married. I don't want to be asked these things anymore. Please find someone else. It's not that I don't care about you. I care about you existentially. I care about you from a distance. But I'm no longer going to be functioning in this role in your life. Please adjust. That feels good to me because it's not thinking that I only have the two mm -hmm. choices mm -hmm. to go to. Mm -hmm. I like the the kind middle ground part. Yep. Good? Yeah, good. I, I want to be able to listen to this whole thing back. I've got the transcript, so I'll reread okay. it so that I can practice it. Because all my scared little parts who think I need to care for him, like his mom said to me a long time ago, it's the wife's responsibility to take care of the husband's social graces. So that's how he grew up. And I happily fell into that. So, yeah. And I don't want to do that anymore. That would be another thing you could just say very clearly to him. Listen, as I do my own work leaving this marriage, this is what I'm realizing I was doing. And this is the messaging I got. And I'm not willing to do it anymore. And that's part of my growth and evolution out of this. So I want to let yeah. you know. Great. That's wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Suzanne. 
Let's move to Alana. Tips for inner reconciliation around people you have pedestaled who disappoint you. Tell me more. What's going on? Yes. I just wanted to acknowledge Suzanne. And this is just of my own lens because I was in a codependent marriage, a relationship for 10 years and substance abuse. And I feel like that I I feel resonant with that. The need to to take care of someone that I thought cannot take care of themselves and how heavy a burden it was on me financially and physically and emotionally to carry a grown man. And I just wanted to say that I've come through that and it was a lot of inner work on let, be allowing myself to let go and not feel the need to hold somebody up when it's hurting me. <sighs> Sorry, uh, I think probably just for me, but it's for everyone. And I'm just going to put a highlight on what you are highlighting. We do not need to sacrifice ourselves in order to try and hold somebody else together when they are a grown up. Reserve that for your children. Do not spend that on your partners. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, thank you. Okay, nice. Go. Okay, so how That's would you it. like to use your time? You can go wherever oh you want to go from here. <laughs> I don't know. My, I was just thinking... This has come up, this is not the first time where a woman that I pedestal, a senior, someone older than me, someone playing a mentor type role, beautiful, successful, black maternal figure, mm. um, disappoints me mm. and, and treats me, you know, directly in a way where I know is not okay. Mm. And when I have resourced myself and done my self-inquiry, I have said, oh, no, both I did my best to be respectful. And I also felt very, uh, uh, it was hard. I also felt challenged by whatever they were giving me. Mm -hmm. And what's hard is that it always seems to be a narrative that I'm the problem or that I'm being disrespectful. And I realized recently that, oh, there is a problem. I do have a problem. I said, I have a fantastic mother. Why am I always looking for pseudo mother figures? I have gone to these women. It's like the metaphor is like I drive up to their house and I camp out and I say, you're the one for me. They haven't come and try to find me. You know, I have said, you are my teacher. I'm going to emulate my life on your values. I like what you're doing in the world. And I just said to myself, but I just, I just really, I have a well-regulated mother, uh, financially balanced, doesn't offer her opinion when it's not asked, um, um, very balanced. Like I, why am I doing that? So I'm, so part of me is seeing the existential. Like I've created this thing so that I can learn how to like not do that, but it's still a challenge because I do want people to think that I'm respectful and not to think the things that these women have said about me. And I feel like I've done enough inner work to know when I'm when it's gaslighting. Ha ha ha. And still I don't move into or I try not to move into a story about how thou this is a bad person. Because mm -hmm. I feel like I always try to practice compassion and empathy for everybody at every point stage of their life and their day. And I go, I try to think what they might be going through or maybe something that I did in the past was triggering this moment and still hold the fact, well, that was still the past. It still doesn't give them a pass to abuse me in that moment. But I still try to be cognizant that we're human and we're flawed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Is there anything I'm missing to sort of just be settled in this position of like no one's perfect and we're all just doing our best because... I do feel like, what happened? These are like the healers, the thought leaders, the published authors. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, it's also, there's also a man in there too, a former lover. And I, I just think that the way I was treated was beyond the pale on a humanistic level. Yeah. But what am I missing perhaps? In oh, I don't know that you're missing anything. Let me first tell you back what I think I'm hearing you say. There's this uh, tendency that you're noticing in yourself where you idealize someone and a part of you makes them bigger than life. 
And then when they show up as a normal human being with all of their imperfections and, and foibles, that's disappointing. Is that true? That piece true? Yeah. Okay. And then I'm hearing you say there is a pattern of there's something about respect, about being perceived as not being respectful. And at the same time, I think what I'm getting from what you're sharing is you admire these people, you get into relationships with people that you've idealized. And then when you begin setting boundaries or asserting something about yourself, they see you as disrespectful. And that's a little bit disorienting to you. Is that right, how I'm hearing that? Correct. Correct. Okay. In domination culture, the word respect is often code for obedient. So when somebody is using the word respect, I often slow down to find out what do they mean when they're using that word. Because respect can mean submit to me. Respect can mean my way, not your way. Respect can be used as a tool of domination where my needs are more important than yours and my subjectivity is more valid than yours. So I'd be examining that word. How is it actually being? What's the function of it? And if it's being used in that way, I would give myself full permission to embrace being disrespectful. Oh my gosh, that's so liberating. I want to hear more, just a little bit more. This is okay. paradigm shifting. Okay, we are not here to be objects to be used by other people. That is not what we're here for. We are here to be subjective, sovereign human beings who are learning how to be in interdependent relationship with one another, where both people matter, where both people have a perspective, where both people bring in a history, and where we learn from one another in relationship, in empathically connected relationships with one another where both people matter and we care about the needs of both people. And so when we're coming out of domination consciousness, which most of us on the planet at this point in history have been indoctrinated into, we begin in imbalances in power. You are more powerful than me. You are more important than me. I have to submit to you. And we're evolving out of that. We're emerging out of that kind of inequitable power frame. And we're reaching for a different kind of relationship. That is the paradigm shift. We're, we're reaching for relationships in which we care about all people equally on the planet, where human life matters, where we can create structures that embrace diversity in all of its forms, and we figure out how to live in peace without harming one another in that frame. And we give away our power when we idealize people. And it's a subtle and surprising form of dehumanization because when we idealize another person, they are also no longer allowed to be human. And so we want to rehumanize everybody, ourselves, them, and we want to bring everybody back to the table as mattering equally. How's that landing on you, Alana? There are no more words to be said. You said exactly what I needed to hear. The only question I have is, this domination culture framework, where is that lifted from? I would love to sort of do a little digging in terms of that because you're speaking my life values. And I think there's something that's coming to an end with like my psych psychology. And I'm ready to fully embrace a new framework because that really, really speaks to how I see this world and our interconnectedness and how I want to be able to stand in an interconnected place and even how I want to be able to resource myself, have my meet my own needs yeah. that don't diminish the needs of other people. Yes. So if there's is there any source that and that's it and I'm thinking Ooh, I love this question. I would say that everything that Bell Hooks has ever written talks about domination culture. I think she's brilliant. I would read everything by Bell Hooks. I would read everything by Marshall Rosenberg, everything about nonviolent communication. And then I would probably point to um, Ryan Eisler. Here's a couple of books right off the uh, bat. Uh, that, that's her name, Tomorrow's Children. I would recommend that. I would recommend The Power of Partnership. I think those would probably get you started. How's that landing? Perfect. 
Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I love your question. I love your question. I love all of the things you said today. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm wondering, Beatrix, can I move to you quickly? I wonder if we can maybe, if even if we have only five minutes, talk a little bit about the question you're asking, which is how to navigate a challenging situation with more ease and lightness. Yeah, so this is a no-contact situation with your sister-in-law because you have very opposing views on um, how to move on. She wants to just forget and continue. You want to actually discuss and learn from what happened. And there's a gridlock now. And so you're in the role of a strange and unpleasant outsider in the family, reinforced by the fact that we come from different cultures. I feel like I'm only tolerated as the wife and mother, but not accepted and welcomed. And I want to navigate this with more ease and lightness. What would you like to ask in this well, one? Yeah, I guess just yeah, how to navigate it with more lightness. So I don't expect the situation to change anymore. It's nine years. <laughs> so. It's been coming on for nine years. And are you saying that you just want to figure out a way internally to shift in yourself? Or you're wanting to invite your sister-in-law into a different kind of conversation? Is this more She's of an... She's not ready for it. She's and not. every so she, so she is not ready for it. So that's why it's a status quo. And the family, they don't speak about it. So every time there is an elephant in the room, which I feel very awkward about because I hate elephants in the room. Yeah. You know, it's just no questions to me or about me, pictures of me only with the family. Uh, however, there are pictures of her even with my children, just her with my children. So it, it's just hurting when the family gathers, pictures are taken and then sent immediately to her. So yeah, I feel super isolated and not just observed, but like scrutinized like a little insect. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry. It sounds painful and lonely, and it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, you're accepting of the status quo, you're looking at what everybody is and isn't doing, and you're trying to figure out a way right now that you can hold it differently inside of yourself? Yeah. Okay. Number one, don't take it personally. How easy is mm -hmm. that for you or not? Yeah. It's not personal. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning it. It's Okay, uh, good. It's, uh, the fact that there is a physical distance and it's only very sometimes that we meet that makes it easier. Okay. So it tells you about their capacity for being direct about things that are challenging, which is low and they don't want to, and mm -hmm. they would like to walk around it. This is their strategy right now. Yeah. And you're just going to see that as the best thing that they know how to do with the skills and the awarenesses that they have. For them to feel comfortable and exactly, it's yeah. especially with my so I don't see the the sister-in-law or her family, and my parents-in-law are obviously older, different generation, different culture. Right, um, they have their own issues. Um, uh, with right, my father-in-law having health issues. So it's it's not the time and not the age that they will, yeah, start learning about feelings and needs and yeah, uh, transparent communication. And are you wanting a little bit more ease and connection with them? Are you wanting to feel like you are valued for what you are contributing? What I are your needs? So what do you feel needs? valued? And I think I'm also in a bit of a resignation mode. So it's I'm, you know, not expecting it anymore. So it's really the request is purely self-management. Got it. When I was in my first marriage and I felt very, very similar ways with my husband's family, I think there was something maybe about remembering the goodness of who you are and what's true about you and what is in your heart and grounding yourself in who you want to be given circumstances, relational conditions that are painful and lonely. Uh-huh. And, and are there any allies in the family? I mean, uh, your husband, are there people in the family with whom you feel more connection and more safety or not? I'm a total outsider in the family. Again, there is a big cultural difference. So totally different culture. We do have a common language because I speak their language. Okay. And yes, my husband is on my side, but he's not going to confront it. He, he tried maybe a few times with the sister who is adamant that either we sit down at the kitchen table and we talk it uh, out or, but 
it's too emotionally charged. So we will not talk it out at any kitchen table. I don't know that you can change the tension or get more ease and lightness in a place where people are suppressing information and not willing to work with the energies that are in the room. Can you hold it in a way that is full of acceptance and um, a willingness to work with it as it is? Yes. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Can you also take the Arctic Circle and change it into a tropical rainforest? I don't think so. I think a piece of it is reminding yourself that it sounds like you are willing to work with things as they are. And as they are means that there are elephants on the table and there are underground tensions that nobody wants to talk about and making peace with that and relaxing your own nervous system in the face of, oh yeah, that's another tense moment. I'm just going to relax into it. Oh, this is another place where I would rather find more connectedness and understanding and it's not available right now, so I'm just going to learn to relax into it. And I'm going to learn to just feel what it's like on its terms with no resistance and know what it's like, but not try to change it into something that it isn't. I guess that's easier done when it would be just about me. Yeah. But since it's a family visit and you know my husband is there and then all the cousins and aunties, it's, it, it's a clan. And my kids are there, so obviously you don't want to have tension, though my kids are aware of, you know, yeah. what has happened. Of course you feel torn. And also, it doesn't sound like you are the only one who would need to change it. It sounds no, like... And that, that was actually a year long. So several years I have worked on it, uh, yeah. even with professionals, because it, yeah. <laughs> that so I cannot carry about... this all by myself. Well, exactly. Exactly. And that you can't bring ease and lightness when the other people are not bringing ease and lightness. Ease and lightness is, a, is a, um, an output, not an input. And you can bring your own open-heartedness and attitude and, and acceptance and availability, and that's the most you can bring. You're not the one creating the tension. You're in the family system, but you're not responsible for and therefore powerless to do anything about all of the tension. And the things you know how to do is talk about it and be available for it. And other people will step up or not. And then you let go. Yes, that is my view. of yes. So I, I share what you said, but that's not their perspective. Right. And that's where the tension so, is. Yes. <laughs> I am so sorry. If you want to dive into this in more depth, bring it back next week and we can unpack more. It sounds, though, like you've done a lot of work on this with people who know all the intricacies and it's pretty much gridlock. So maybe there's some wisdom in just being like, there's going to be gridlock and I'm just going to learn to live in the gridlock for right now. But there is this, this question on how can I manage myself and maintain my centeredness and be light when I'm in this environment, which puts me under a lot of stress. Maybe you can't be and maybe you don't have to be. Okay. I would need more information to answer that or dive, dive into that with you more. But it does sound like if you're in an environment where you are alone and being judged and not and people are not wanting to talk to you about something, those conditions are pretty difficult to just somehow magically generate lightness and ease. And the demand yeah. that you're placing on yourself to somehow be somewhere that you're not. I have questions about that. Are you allowed to have your experience and just be where you're at? Yeah. The thing is that officially it's not even known what has happened. Yeah. So it's, it's so much an elephant. So much. Uh, I really get it. Yeah. <laughs> I really get it. I would probably need a lot more information. You can always set up a personal session and we can just go into all of the details that are harder to get into yeah. here. But I think in this moment, I probably don't have very much more wisdom for you. I wish I had a magic wand. Yeah. What info would you need? So in case I would bring this back to one of the next sessions. Probably need a little bit more understanding of where the disconnect was, what happened, and why people aren't talking about it. Uh-huh. Thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> thank you for your graciousness around that. And thank you to everybody else for staying a little bit late today. Thank you for being here on a Wednesday morning. It's always a pleasure to be with you and I look forward to seeing you back next Wednesday. 
Just a friendly reminder, if this episode resonated with you, please share with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if these conversations leave you wanting more, please consider joining my monthly membership program where you can join me live to keep growing with a community of open-hearted, like-minded people just like you. There are more free resources, including a quiz to help you assess your preferred listening style at yvetteerasmus.com and a lot of free videos on my YouTube channel. Remember, personal growth is a journey and not a destination. So please keep loving up all your awkward, messy and imperfect parts as you go. See you next time.